This is episode number 230 of the Rising Man podcast with Dave Wheel. Fear isn't going anywhere, so why not invite it in for tea? Welcome back, Rising Man family. Thank you for joining me here today. This is Jetty Azuma here, clocking in behind the mic for another episode of the Rising Man podcast. I've got a wonderful guest here today who I'm excited to introduce. But before I do, reminder for all you guys who want to join us for a four-day solo wilderness fast, ceremonial rite of passage experience, change your life, and step into a whole new chapter, Compass is where it's at. We are launching our enrollment period for Compass coming up in the new year. So if you want to join us and get one of those limited seats we have available, go over to risingman.org slash compass and apply today. All right. My guest for today is Dave Wheel. He's the founder of Alpha Rising Men's Work and the podcast Men Doing the Work. He's a men's coach and breathwork facilitator. After his career as a professional skier ended with breaking his neck in 2012, he discovered a passion for entrepreneurship, healing, spiritual growth, and men's work. Dave is on a mission to support men as they evolve into better husbands, fathers, and leaders and create more fulfillment in their lives. In this episode, Dave and I talked about why acceptance and letting go of expectations is an essential quality to follow your true calling. We talked about having goals and targets, even small ones to motivate from, how Dave overcame broken necks, unexpected transitions, and losing an entire company. We talked about the grip that our identities can have on us and when it's time to embrace a new one. We talked about looking into the mirror of the world to see who we really are, especially in those times when we're looking for new identity. Why fear never goes away, knowing the difference between life-threatening fears and perceived life threats, and how to deal with fear even better. And last but not least, we talked about appreciating what our biology does to help us survive. We talked about nervous system responses, fight, flight, freeze, and so much more in this episode. Without further ado, Dave Wheel. All right, Rising Man family, got another wonderful man joining me here today, Mr. Dave Wheel, coming in live from Costa Rica, Pura Vida. Como esta, yeah. mi hermano? <laughs> so good. <laughs> Thanks for having me, brother. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to be here. How, how long have you been in Costa Rica for? Almost two years now. We, we came down for two months last two winters ago, and ended up just falling in love. We stayed for six months, went back to BC, got rid of all of our stuff in the summer and then moved back down. And we've been here uh, a little over a year straight now since then. So it's, uh, and we just bought a place here. We've got a lemon tree, like five feet from my hand here outside and all like fruit and, oh man, it's, it's, we love it down here. It's, it's pretty special. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. So folks, you, you just outed yourself, but I'm sure they'll definitely pick up on the Canadian accent. So originally from <laughs> BC, currently in Costa Rica, I got to ask you, man, how is the Spanish accent and language coming along for you? Uh, menos. uh, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. we've been taking lessons for, we took almost a year straight of, of twice a week lessons and I've got enough to get by with like slowly <laughs> you know gotcha. if people uh people have uh, mas despacio then uh we can we can listen and and comprehend and everything so now it's just practice but the place we live in nosara is a very expat heavy town so there's a lot of people here that just speak english and and a lot of the locals even cater to that so it's unfortunately very easy to not speak spanish a lot of the time here, ah. which is good but also it's it's you had a you have to purposefully try to practice you know but it's uh but it's good it's been a lot of fun that's my first time actually 
French in school being from Canada, but never to a point of actually being able to speak it fluently. So this is my first time of actually being able to do that in another language. And it's really fun. And that, and that alone is just such a huge journey, right? Going to a place where you oh. don't speak the native language and making a home there. I've, I've never had that experience. I've only ever visited countries like that. And I actually have a pretty strong Spanish foundation. So I can imagine what that must be like, just that experience alone. What, what is that? What was that like when you jumped into that? Oh man, it's been, it's been a lot. Like it's been a transition for sure. <laughs> like new language, new, uh, new sport as well. Like I'm a skier, like from way back, but, uh, it's, we live in a surf town and I had surfed a couple times, but never like two or three times in my life kind of thing. So it's, it's a whole other, just so much to learn and, and being, I was, you know, I had sponsors, I competed, I was at a pretty high level in skiing. So then to go down to being a straight up beginner <laughs> in a new sport, like it's been humbling, especially something like surfing, which is incredibly humbling for anyone. But, uh, yes. but it's been really cool. It's been awesome to just learn the ways of, of the country here and the land and the culture. And it's beautiful, man. We, we really love it. It's, it's been a good challenge. And, you know, we, a big part of our move was like, for me and my wife, two of our highest values are health uh, and to be here where we're actually like, I'm barefoot most of the time. I get to surf every day. If I want, I, we've got fresh fruit growing in our property and like local farmers markets for most of our produce and everything. And, you know, everything's coming right from the land. So it's really easy to be really healthy here, which we love. So. Awesome, man. Well, I heard some threads of your story and beginner's mindset, fear, trust, transition, so many things we could jump into. But I like to start here when I have somebody on the show with this question. And that is, mm. what does it mean to be a man? Mm. Good question. Uh, still trying to figure that one out. <laughs> I, lo I love when people it, say uh, that. <laughs> it, uh, what does it mean to be a man? I feel it means, you know, if you're if you're talking about kind of like biologically there's the basic answer but what we're here talking about and what are this whole movement of men's work is about i feel is kind of rising into that divine masculine of like being a protector being a provider being disciplined being someone who's here to make the world a better place and look out for people and and be of service and there's there's like so many different threads within that but it's it's for me, I feel my journey of being a man has been going, it's just that journey of maturing, of like going from a boy into a man, which, you know, we talked about a little bit on your episode, but I didn't have a rite of passage really to like an official one to go through. So it's, it's been a journey of figuring a lot of that out as I, as I go and slowly peeling back the layers and letting go of those parts of myself that I just keeping me small really. And, and stepping more and more into this this way of like being of, of service to the world as much as I can. And, uh, yeah, I feel like those are kind of the, the main threads that really, for me, it's like, and just battling the part of myself that doesn't want to all the time. <laughs> sure. Sure. Yeah. The, the responsibility, I heard so many great things in there and I, so I love mm -hmm. your answer. And I think instead of digging into those that we'll, we'll circle back to that throughout the episode, you've got such a compelling story that I didn't even know about you. You know, um, we got connected by a mutual friend, shout out to Dan for making mm -hmm. yourself together. Um, but I, so I didn't really know much about your story. And then you, you submitted me some information from your bio. I'm like, wow. Okay. Interesting. So I'm just going to shout out a few top bullet points here and then we'll, we'll dig in. So 
you mentioned already that you were a semi-pro skier, sponsored, big deal, right? And had a significant episode where you broke your neck. So yeah. one transition in life. Fast forward to you solo cycled from Whistler, BC, which for people who don't know where Whistler is, that's way up there north of the border for us and mm -hmm. all the way down to San Diego, California. How many miles was that that you covered? Uh, it was about 3,000 kilometers. So like 2,000 miles-ish, if okay. my math isn't horrible, 1,800 miles, something like That's, that. <laughs> no, no short distance. And not only that, you landed in a Vipassana, which I've also, I also did a Vipassana in California. So I, awesome. so you, you kind of have this, oh, and then you also, by the way, raised over $200,000 and took a company onto the Canadian version of Shark Tank called Dragon's Den, which I wasn't familiar with until you mentioned mm -hmm. that. So quite an interesting sequence of these challenges that you took on. What Morally. my first question is, what compels you to do any of that stuff? <laughs> uh, good question. Um, well, a few layers, like for the ski part, I, I grew up a skier. My parents were both ski instructors. My grandpa like managed a ski resort when I was a little kid. So skiing was very much in my blood. And I moved to Whistler to chase the dream of being a pro skier because just growing up watching the videos, like that was what I wanted. I wanted to just ski and get paid to do so. And, you know, be at, at that level where I like all my idols that I watched in the videos and stuff. And then I started to get into personal development before the breaking the neck thing, but that was obviously a big like, okay, it's time to decide something, like choose something different to do now. Cause you're not going to be throwing yourself down mountains for a living anymore. And if you, if you didn't break your neck, do you think that you would have carried on with the skiing career? It's hard to say. I was almost, I was like 29 when that happened. So I was kind of, and I'd had, I've had a lot of injuries in my life. Actually, I've probably through all of my twenties when I lived in Whistler, I spent on average a month, a year on the couch due to injury. So like multiple torn ligaments in both ankles, both knees, both shoulders, broken my neck, broken my foot, super bad. Um, like a lot. <laughs> so if people, if people could see you, I don't know if everybody's going to watch the video version of this. They, if, if you look at you, you wouldn't even be able to tell you look like a healthy guy. Like some people probably listening, they expect you to look like Humpty Dumpty on the screen. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, well, as I said, heal, health and, and that whole, and healing became a big part of my journey because of all that, you know, I've learned so much about the body, about the mind as well, especially in the neck one that was, you know, I learned some things earlier on, like, the importance of just being active, moving your body well, not drinking a bunch when you're injured, you know, like keeping your mindset in tune so that you don't spiral out and get depressed and all these things, you know, and, uh, but the neck was the big one where I really started to like, everything came into question at that point of like, what am I doing? Am I going to be able to walk again? Am I going to be able to ski again? It was like, you know, what am I doing with my life? Uh, <laughs> all at the same time. And, uh, so that was, you know, out of that though, as I said, I was starting to get into the personal development stuff before that. Uh, I'd done some landmark stuff before that and, and kind of, I knew from landmark was a big one for me uh, where I saw like, I, I want, I'm, <laughs> I'm pretty ADD and, and I really am a fan of freedom and creating your life to be, to, to be the way you want. And, you know, landmark really sunk that in for me that like, the way you've lived in the past doesn't have to be the way you live in the future and you actually get to create it. And so that really started me down the entrepreneurship path. And that was where, you know, I just, I wanted to be an entrepreneur 
mainly actually, as we were talking about before, I've always really wanted to be a dad and have kids. And I also didn't want to just be the dad that wasn't there and hired someone to take care of his kids. Like I wanted to be able to have freedom in the way I work so that I could raise my kids <laughs> and teach them all of the stuff that I'd learned uh, that I have learned in my life, you know, and, and kind of get them off to a really good start because like I, I didn't really start this whole journey of actually, you know, learning about any of this personal development stuff, learning about mindset, about nutrition, about any of this until I was mid twenties. So it's like, what would happen if you started with all this from the beginning? And it's always been like an inspiration for me of, and being a coach, I'm like, I'm going to make a pretty awesome human way <laughs> when I've got him from the very beginning, you know, and or her. Uh, so, uh, so that's always been a bit of a bunch of the motivation for entrepreneurship. And, and then the rest has just been trial and error, like trying out different businesses, different things, you know, failing a lot, learning a lot. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's and, a word uh, that comes to my mind when I listen to what you're sharing, because you, you, you mentioned the word transition, but the word that keeps coming to my mind is pivot. Because mm -hmm. I imagine at least you were on a trajectory with this with the skiing career, right? And not not many people make it to the level that you did. And there you were and had an injury not come in, you know, but it did. And so making a, a significant pivot, you probably, I'd imagine from what you said, you expected to at least continue competing for a little, a little bit longer. Totally. Or at least like something in the space, whether it's competing, filming, doing like more private coaching. Like I just kind of started to transition. I had like inklings of not wanting to work for the mountain forever because it's very much like a job and there's root boundaries and rules and stuff. But I had uh, my last year before I left, I actually had a few of the, the guys that I had been coaching for the last like five, six years had left the program that we were all part of and started working for me on my own. And, and we did our own thing because they just similar, like they were kind of like me, didn't like the structure, didn't like the rules of certain things. And, uh, and one of those guys actually went on to one win the world championships the next year in, in junior free skiing. So, you know, the, it was, <laughs> I feel like I probably would have kept going somewhere in that realm. Um, but I, but, you know, I mean, you can't know until, uh, well, you, know, you just don't get to know. <laughs> so, so what makes, as, as somebody who, uh, you know, I won't, I won't say has mastered, but somebody with a lot of life experience in transitions and unexpected moments, what are, what are some of the most important things that have helped you make that shift from what you thought your path was leading you towards to something different? One of the big ones is really just acceptance and and just being willing to let go of what you thought life was going to be essentially that was a big one for me the first that really hit home in the neck thing because the first couple of weeks i was just like fuck my life you know <laughs> like super depressed super like gah, like resisting what happened essentially instead of being like, well, eventually I got to the point where I was like, well, this is where I'm at. What am I going to do now? <laughs> you know, like having accepting what is so, and then choosing where you want to move forward instead of <laughs> uh, choosing where you want to go, essentially. So instead of just resisting and being stuck and, and kind of resenting your life, actually like choosing to be the, the hero instead of the victim. Yeah. And that's, I think that's a quintessential moment that 
probably all of us could relate to, especially men. And I know, I know myself, I've had many instances in my life where that fuck my life moment happens. And there's a, there's an opportunity to just stay in that. In fact, I, I know a lot of people who just get stuck and mired in that fuck my life mentality and very quickly evolves into this deeply seated victim story that just doesn't seem like it has a way out. And so if there's some fundamental wisdom in there, I understand that it could be as simple as just shifting our mindset. But when you've been in those places, what what has really helped you to turn your attention the other direction? Having a big one has always been having something to hold on to, something to make progress in, even in those moments, like, especially for injuries, that's always been a big one. And I've dealt with a lot as we talked about. And it's really easy to just go down to like, uh, and like, lie down, veg out, you know, and just distract yourself. But having something, when I've done all the smaller injuries, it was going to the gym and working out other things, like keeping my body tuned up, eating healthy, not drinking, you know, like really taking care of my body and my mind so that it doesn't go sideways on me <laughs> because mm-hmm. it's so easy to have things go downhill when you're not taking care of yourself and injuries and, or like if you get fired or if you're like going through a transition of losing a company or something like that, which I've also done, uh, <laughs> the, uh, it's if you're not taking care of the basics and having something to move forward on and make progress in, it's really easy for that depression to creep in and for your self-worth to just like hit the floor. And I am a firm believer that it's the little things that we do on a regular basis that keep our self-worth high, keep us feeling good about ourselves so that we can, so we have the capacity to figure out what's next and to move forward and, and to kind of keep going, you know? So, so that was a big one. And yeah, it's, but it's challenging. It's definitely, I had a lot of my early ones. I didn't have all that wisdom and, <laughs> and spent a lot of really like sad, depressed time just playing video games or whatever, like sitting around bumming around the house playing. I had, I got into a big online poker phase in one big entry that I had, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and again, just like get sucked down into a hole. And uh, the neck one, I didn't, I wasn't able to do a lot of physical stuff in that. But I turned my mind, like I worked out my mind while I was laid down, like laid out in bed, not able to move. I was listening to audiobooks, listening to podcasts, starting to like open my mind and learn new things that I was interested about. So at least, at least I'm growing a little bit in some way. You know, that's, right. that's such a key piece. I feel is just having something you can grow in. I 100% agree. In fact, I'm just thinking of a couple of conversations I've had with men this week who are in one of those moments where it's a, it's a, it's a transitional moment. It's pivot. It's a, oh, wow, I didn't see that coming type of moment, whether it was self-inflicted or circumstantial, either way, those curveballs are coming. And yeah. sometimes you get plunked right in the nuts with one of these curveballs and it just sucks. And it's hard to move away from that. Let me feel bad for myself. What am I going to do now? to to i think about like somebody who's I'm, I'm not a hunter but imagine somebody like getting something in their sights and you got your sights set on something and you've 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 tracked the animal you've really pursued it and you're you're getting ready to take your shot and something happens right the animal gets spooked or or you misfire or whatever and now you have to adjust that target you have to adjust the lens and 
there's a, sometimes there's a mourning, I think, a mourning and a grieving of the expectations of what I thought was coming. And sure, anybody could say, don't have expectations, right? That's the success. The don't release your expectations. Just don't That's do so that. much easier said than done, right? It's like, if I don't have any expectations, then what's there to look forward to? I think if you have to manage expectations, sure. But don't have expectations is unrealistic. So uh, part of what I hear you sharing that I can really relate to is how quickly could I get my mind around, okay, I missed that one. That's not there anymore. That went away or fill in the blank. Mm-hmm. What else can I redirect and focus my attention towards? And sometimes there's that period of, of grief and mourning, of, depending on what we're talking about, the loss, yeah. right? I'm sure there was a lot of loss when it came to your skiing career. It's like, hey, that's that's just not going to happen in this lifetime. Mm-hmm. And totally. Cause it's not even a career at that point. That was my whole life. Like I was a skier, you know, that was my identity. So it was mm-hmm. like letting go of just, you know, I've been, I, I was skiing since I was two years old <laughs> and like, that was everything that was my obsession. That was, that was the burning desire. That was all of it. Right. And then it was like, all of a sudden, okay. So without that, what, what are you going to do now? <laughs> and, and it's, it's hard. And, you know, one thing that I've really grown and like learned more about in the last couple of years since being more in men's work, getting into breath work, learning more about trauma and this whole, that whole system that we have that navigates all this stuff is like you said, is actually leaning into the grieving as opposed to just like accept it, bam, next, you know, it's like having space to cry and to move stuff into like, you know, but doing it consciously, I would say like carve out some space, be like, all right, well, <laughs> I'm going to need some time. I need to call some help, get some, get some support, you know, sure. book in some sessions, get into, I meant like lean on my guys more for this time and, and just like accept that phase of it, accept the grieving and allow yourself to feel through it. Because when you don't, when you resist it, as you, I'm sure obviously know from all this stuff, it's like, it just takes way longer versus if you just go in and, (laughs) you know, move it all and have it be, you know, intense, but brutal, but short, then you can get to the other side a lot quicker and you can start rebuilding. Yeah, you brought in a key word there that I love, identity. And just uh, let's let's talk about that for a minute because we, you know, there's all this conversation about the ego and whether you believe in Eastern, Western philosophy. I think part of the reality for most of us is that when we're born, we're given a name. As children, our ego begins to develop around this identity that's mirrored back to us by our parents, by our loved ones. Everybody tells us, they give us a reference to understand who I am in the world. And so much suffering that people can experience is if there's a lot of negative reinforcement around that. There's also the positive reinforcement that builds this identity. So going back to the conversation that you and I had when I was on your podcast, talking a lot about rites of passage and the releasing of an identity. So that's a lot easier said than done because identity itself can have a, have a, like those like um, barbs and claws on them that they just dig into us and who am I if I release this? Who am I if I'm no longer a semi-pro skier? Who am I if not fill in the blank? It's a very, very uh, scary territory to wander into. So what do you find for yourself when you've had these moments where you've had to release parts of your identity and begin embracing a new one? What what helped you with that specifically? Uh, patience. <laughs> uh, and one, one of those 
big transitions that I went through. Cause I've had actually a few of these in my life, a few like whole, like, Sounds like it. burn it all down and start fresh. Um, there's, I guess like two other solid ones that I went through other than the skiing and the neck thing. And one of them, a big piece of, especially these days, if, if you're someone who's trying to keep up an online appearance and doing social media and all these things, I gave my permission, I gave myself permission to just completely unplug from all of that for like a good couple months where I was like, I'm not creating anything. I'm not trying to be present online. I'm just going to do me. I'm just going to like shut it all down and do a bunch of journaling and like really process what the heck just happened. And, and what I want to like come back home to myself really, as opposed to, I feel so many of us live in a way that there's this like idea, especially with the online world of like how it's like, not just, I want to do this for me, but like, I got to do this to get the shot or to get the photo or to create the content, you know? <laughs> and, mm. and it's, uh, it versus just doing things for yourself and going through a big transition like that there, man, like that's not talk about it after sure. But like when you're in it, you just need to be in it and, sure. and then allow the space for it. So, so that was, you know, it wouldn't have been a thing 20 years ago even, but, but now it, that really actually helped me a lot that. And as I said, journaling and, and through that same one, I also did a lot of ironically kind of counter to what I was saying, but I, I did a lot of like video journaling. So I would just like talk to the camera for a while and like talk through everything that was going on. And for me, I'm a projector and human design. And I didn't know that at the time, but it's actually really helpful for me to be able to talk things through. So it, it became a good tool. I didn't ever release any of that, but it was just, just the, that as soon as the cameras roll and it's like, okay, we're sitting here and we're talking about what the hell just happened <laughs> and having that space to, to just move through it and let it out, you know? Uh, and obviously if I had a, if I had a men's group at that point or anything like that, if I had support like that, I'm sure I would have, that would have been a big part of it as well. But <laughs> well, that, and that's a good inlet. Cause I, I see a lot of evidence as I'm looking back at your journeys where you made these transitions, um, thrusting yourself out into a space where you can get a different type of mirror. Um, for me, I think about that is before I, before I ever went out and fasted, one of the first, critical moments like this, where I was going through a little bit of an identity crisis and just like, what do I do now? I just gotten out of a relationship that I was really attached to and really devastating when it ended for me. I just like, I just knew I needed to get out of there. So I went as far away as I could. I traveled all the way to New Mexico. I ended up doing a physical therapy internship on the Navajo reservation in Shiprock, New Mexico. And I went out there and what I, what I learned at that time, even though I was only 23, was that this was the first time in my life I went somewhere where nobody knew me. Nobody mm. knew me at all. Had no, other than what I carried, what I brought with me, my story, my just energy and who I am, had no reference for that. So it was the first time I got a really good look at, okay, how does the rest of the world see me at face value for who I am? No pretext, just this is me. This is Jetty. What do you think? And I think there's, it's important to look, for, to seek out these opportunities where we can look into a different mirror. Whereas I think a lot of people get stuck looking in the same mirror over and over and over again. And then once that identity in the mirror shatters, there's nothing left to see. It's like, uh, what, what is this? Who am I without this identity? So whether it's traveling or in your case, I'm looking at the cycling journey, the Vipassana journaling, video journaling, all these different strategies you had for taking a new and different look at yourself. 
and an honest right. look at yourself, not just what you want to see in the mirror, but an honest look at yourself. It sounds like there's some some synchronicities through there. For sure. Yeah, that was a big piece. A, a few of my big ones had had moments of that as well, like leaving the whole ski career, I moved from Whistler to Vancouver. So I also started fresh and I also made new friends and kind of, I, I've, I've had versions of that at different times as well. And I find it's also, especially going through a big transition like that, you end up having a lot of friends and people in your life that are part of that life. You know, and it's like when you do start fresh, you, you almost, not that you need this, but it was, it was helpful for me to have this space where it's like, okay, I'm opening up to new connections new people and, and people that are thinking on a different level or a different plane. You know, I'd been doing a lot of personal growth over the years. And that was part of the transition for me too. Like a lot of my friends were, I bartended and worked in restaurants most of my time there and skied. So I had a lot of friends that were just restaurant industry, nothing again. I loved having that experience. And there's a very like temporary mindset that often goes along in that world and just getting to Vancouver, being around more entrepreneurs, being around more people that are thinking big and trying to create impact in the world. It, it, it made it a lot easier for me to make that jump myself to, to stepping into that next level yeah. by surrounding myself with people that are doing what I wanted to do. <laughs> well, that's, that's a huge thing, right? They say that you're the average of the five people you spend the most time around. So if you gotta, if you gotta cash out a few of those relationships to replace yeah. them with new ones, that that's, that's part of the essential formula. So I, I I've, I've recognized that myself, which is a lot easier said than done. I don't want to go down that okay. rabbit hole necessarily right now. Cause there's something else I really want to point to because there's this thing about fear. I'm just, do you remember that, that brand? I don't know if they're still around. Remember the brand, no fear, no fear. Yeah. Remember totally that awesome. had the t-shirts with all the same uh -huh. the clothes on them. It was pretty metal. Like I think all the metal guys oh, yeah. were that back. No, in the I, I had some stickers of their stuff on my things when I was a kid for sure. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, which I thought, always thought that was kind of interesting. My brother was really big into that. My older brother. So I kind of looked up to him in that way and you know, no fear. That's, that's not a real, I mean, do, do you think that that's a real, okay, good. We're on the same page. There. It's not, it's not real not to have fear. <laughs> No, but you get better at facing it. You get, yeah. you get braver and you get, you build courage over as you practice facing your fear, as you practice stepping towards it. Yeah. And so just, let's just acknowledge the fact that fear never goes away. No. And it, why, why do you think that is? Why, what, what is fear there for? Uh, fear has good things, obviously, like biologically, it's meant to keep us safe. Uh, and, you know, it, there are real things to be afraid of. I'm, I'm afraid of jumping into a fire, an actual fire, or like falling off a 10 story building or, you know, like things that are actually going to threaten my life, you should be afraid of. <laughs> mm -hmm. And uh, there's, I feel like so much of what most people's fears are like, there aren't a lot of things that, out there that are really life-threatening for us on a regular basis. Yes. At, you know, like stepping into traffic and things like that, but there's not predators for us walking around in the world. So most of our fears I feel are more cultural and more like it's fear of being kicked out of the tribe, fear of upsetting people, fear of conflict, fear of, you know, just, looking bad in general. And, and that turns into so many 
like missed opportunities and playing small. And, you know, if you want to, especially once you get onto this path of growth, it's like, if you want to keep growing, you're going to have to keep doing harder things and pushing yourself. If you want to have your own business, if you want to be a coach, if you want to do any of these things, run men's groups, like all of your stuff is going to get brought up and you're going to have to move through it. You're going to have to face a lot of fears as you make your way towards that. And, you know, but that's, I remember, uh, I think it, I forget what year it was. It was the year I moved to Vancouver. I was at a new year's party and it, there was, they had this board up on the wall where everyone was writing their intentions for the new year. And I chose to make my intention. I want to get uncomfortable this year. Like I want to seek out opportunities to actually be uncomfortable and stretch myself so that I can get more comfortable with more things, <laughs> stretch my comfort zone essentially. And you know, that was like eight, nine years ago or something at this point. And, and it's just been, you know, continuing that on as we move forward. And, and as I said, you just get more used to what it feels like. And, and it's like, there's this element of creating safety for yourself, like regulating your nervous system. And it's that you've heard of the book, feel the fear and do it anyways. There's, it's like, okay, I see the fear it's there. Thank you. Like, you know, it, there's so much that goes on in the mind and how you relate to it. And if you see it as something that's just it's revving up your system to give you more capacity to go and face the thing, that's going to be a way different outcome than if you're like, oh my God, 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 I hope I don't, I hope I don't, I hope I don't X, Y, Z, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like you can totally shift the, the experience of fear depending on how you relate to it in your mind. And, and having practice doing that is obviously a big piece too. Right. Yeah. I think of fear as uh, I'm very visual. So one of the, I guess I've seen too many movies in my lifetime. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm thinking of those movies like Armageddon or those astronaut movies where they're in space and they start having the signals go off like, like alerting them. Hey, you're going to, you're, you're fucked. You're fucked. You're almost fucked. You're definitely fucked. And they're just like, and the guy's probably like, you know, um, with Bruce Willis is just like, you know, ignoring it. Cause he knows what he's got to do. It's like that, right? It's like, there's this, these built-in systems and alerts that are letting you know, Hey, may not be good. Might not be the outcome you want. We might not survive. And mm -hmm. the importance of just acknowledging them. Um, I love that you mentioned nervous system. I've been working with an amazing coach. who has been helping me with nervous system work and, so much of the narrative I think many of us as men have had has been when fear approaches, fuck fear and just ignore it completely, right? Just like that doesn't even exist. Almost like those alarms aren't going off. Like if I was sitting next to somebody, I was like, hey, do, are we going to do something about that? They're like, what are you talking about? What? Ignore it. Can't see it. Don't. Can't see it. Nothing's <laughs> happening. <laughs> right. Which blinders. Is, is a strategy that I believe can be effective in some situations, but it's certainly not the only way. And like you said, uh, which I'm embracing a lot more myself, because I've had one of those nervous systems that I've over caffeinated, I've driven it hard, like a, you know, like your first car. <laughs> and, and the result of that has been a lot of, a lot of cost, man, really felt that. And, and to a place where I didn't, I started not to trust myself when it came to my fears and my, when I really dug into it, realizing that my my fear barometer started to become exaggerated because it needed to, it needed to, the, the the alarms, it's like someone turned the volume up on the alarms because I was ignoring them. So they turned the volume up to say, well, maybe he'll hear us now. And so this idea, this perception I had of what might happen was 
so blown out of proportion because internally I didn't trust myself to acknowledge the fear and say, okay, yeah, I, I, I hear the alarm that's going off. Yes, this might lead to any number of outcomes and other outcomes that I can't see, but I'm willing to accept the cost of that, right? And obviously that doesn't make for great Hollywood cinema. So Bruce Willis would never have that conversation with the alarm system, right? But metaphorically, if I can meet that fear and acknowledge it, give it a personality and, and really have a dialogue with it and then say, you know what, fear? What if it does work out? What if I, I jump and I land it? What, what, what about that possibility? Have you considered that? And then fear starts saying, well, you know, I guess that's a possibility too. Maybe we're not going to die. And um, anyway, I guess it's just, I wanted to share a little bit of my personal experience because I think that that's really helpful. And number two, I think that it's a, uh, there's more nuance to it. It doesn't have to be just bust the head through the brick wall. Totally. And, you know, also just in the relating to it, there's, I forget, there was some Ted talk at some point I watched that kind of broke it down, like fear and the feeling of fear can be like a lot of people relate to it. Like, like you said, they, they picture the worst thing that's going to happen. And then they start being afraid of that outcome, not just doing the thing, but all of the things that could happen if it goes horribly wrong versus, you know, and then they start to relate to the feeling of fear as all of those bad things, instead of seeing fear as excitement, you know, it's like, if you were about to go into a fight, for instance, your heart rate would start to go up, your your senses would heighten a little bit. And, and those aren't to hurt you. Those are like, if you need to actually fight or run, your system wants all of its available resources to be on high alert and to be able to go. And so it's like starting to relate to that feeling of your heart pounding in your chest and that the tingles and the the excitement that comes is like, all right, like my body's getting ready to go and do something fucking badass, <laughs> you know, yeah. like to perform at a higher level and, and shifting the way that you relate to it can just make a, like you said, it's not about ignoring the fear necessarily. It's like, that fear can actually be something that's helping you to perform better and be more alert uh, if you see it that way. But again, our mindset has such a huge role to play in how we handle those things. Yeah, well, I, I love that you brought that up. I, I mentioned briefly that I have background as a physical therapist and you as an athlete, we can appreciate just physiology and what our bodies mm -hmm. do, especially as a high-performing athlete. I'm, I'm sure you had to deal with that, that physiological loop over and over and over again to throw yourself yeah, down these mountains, right? And I, I really think that's important going back into the nervous system for people even just have a basic understanding of what is happening on a physiological level that we talk about fight, flight, freeze. We talk about sympathetic, parasympathetic, autonomic nervous systems, this and that. But a lot of people don't really understand that a, a truly sympathetic response in your nervous system is those life or death moments. If you're experiencing, we're talking about elevated heart rate. So as soon as you feel your heart start to beat fast, you're in a sympathetic state, your blood mm -hmm. pressure, literally your blood vessels if it's like a switch, right? If you're either in sympathetic or parasympathetic and in that sympathetic state, your blood vessels are going to constrict to get to more efficiently distribute blood to your organs. So blood pressure goes up, your pupils are going to constrict so you can focus in, right? These are all ancient survival mechanisms that are coded into our DNA that have a very interesting effect on us when we apply them in a modern context. So that feeling of, oh my God, I'm nervous. Yes. Your body is preparing you for battle essentially. Really? 
and that those are indicators, but also just good to know to, to know like, oh, this is my body working for me. I think a lot of times there's this undertone that I'm at, I'm competing with my body when my body's just doing what it naturally knows how to do, especially if mm -hmm. my mind is somewhere else, if it's not congruent with what my physiology is enacting. Does that, does that make sense to you? hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. And, and on the topic of nervous system, there's also freeze, which is going into dorsal, which I feel a lot of people are these days because there's just so much fear everywhere and like you know our whole culture is very fear dominated right now and a lot of guys especially if they've cultivated a practice not on purpose but of going into dorsal of like overthinking panicking when it comes time to do the thing or ask the girl out or whatever that they just don't and they freeze then they get into these spirals of just like getting sucked down into a hole of like like the freeze response in, in my understanding, it's like, if you are going to die, if you are about to get eaten, at least like you'll freeze and you'll kind of disassociate. So you don't feel it as much, or maybe the animal right. won't eat you if he thinks you're already dead. But in, in modern day life, like it, it has very little use, I feel <laughs> for most people. And, yeah. but it's like, it becomes this chronic thing. Like I've had clients where they just, they can't take action to save their life. And it's, it's heartbreaking to, to see guys go through this, especially because it's like, all you have to do is start taking a little bit of action and, and practice. Like every time, either, you know, fight or either fight or flight is better than freeze <laughs> as far mm -hmm. as like, at least you're moving the energy and you're, you're going, you know, ideally, well, anyways, not ideally, but, um, flight people are usually more anxious fight. People are usually more like fiery and they get into trouble a lot, <laughs> mm -hmm. but, uh, it's, I don't know. I just feel like as I've learned more about nervous system and trauma, it's like, holy crap, this just ties like everything together that <laughs> it's like, how has this not been taught in school? And like, how, how do people not know about this stuff? It's, yeah. it's wild. Well, you know, again, just speaking from that, I learned all this stuff. I, I got a doctorate in physical therapy. So I, I know the axons and the neural pathways and the cross sections of the spinal cord and what part of each I've, I've done all of that neurobiology and neurophysiology before. And it was never connected to psychology. It's almost like there were these two departments that weren't really talking to each other. And of course, you know, we learn more as a species over time. We're, we're figuring out how to make these connections, but it's almost like we got so deep into the whole of what we can see and, and identify, but these, um, these departments weren't really speaking with each other. It was really mm -hmm. interesting because I, I remember I, I was minoring in psychology and I was studying physical therapy and obviously we're doing neurophysics. So you got to stuff. see both sides and put them together a little bit it's, on your own. <laughs> began to, but there wasn't really anybody encouraging me to do that. It was really just my 20 year old curiosity. that was like, huh, I wonder if these two things have anything to do with each other, but it really wasn't until beyond college that I started to say, Oh, and even now it's a deeper, Whoa, all of this is going on. So I agree, man. Uh, and, talk going back to children and raising kids, like you were saying before, mm -hmm. so glad that my wife and I both see this in our lives now, you know, and sure would have loved to have this at an earlier age, but our children are already learning and talking about their nervous system and learning awesome. to understand what's happening in their bodies. And so that, oh, yeah, that's just the best that's, we can hope for. And that's a whole episode in itself, but I'm like, it's so, it's so exciting to see, even for like, emotional intelligence and, and managing emotions and like like i can't wait to have a kid and teach him how to 
scream and cry and be angry, <laughs> you know, and, and not you wanna, like, you won't have to teach them very much. They already got that lot. <laughs> well, encourage like, the process to continue. Encourage <laughs> the process for, yeah, not teach them how to, but like kids do that on their own. But, but it's so often, like when I was a kid, it wasn't allowed. Like you would just go to your room, you know, like shut down, not allowed. Like you're wrong for having emotions versus like, all right, let's go. <laughs> you know, I'll like, do it with you. Right. I mean, my, my dad never screamed with me. That's for sure. And yeah. the one time that my dad did cry with me was when my mom was, we thought, which we thought she was dying of breast cancer. Thankfully she didn't. But I mean, um, that was like the only time that I ever shared emotion like that with my dad. And so uh, just the permission and the context and the even beyond context, the container, the container mm. for our children to experience and explore these emotions that, like I mentioned, they're, they're naturally going to have. I mean, it, sure. but my son doesn't need to be told to express his emotion. They just do it. And it's a matter of, do we shut it down? Do, exactly. we, do we block it? Or do we they get conditioned it anyway? To do that. Yeah. They get conditioned to shut it down and to, to like put it in a box and just that it, they get conditioned that it's not okay, essentially. But that's, that's where I feel we have like, we get to do things differently. <laughs> we get and to we break are. the chain on so much of that. We are you. Yeah. I'm not yet. Cause I'm not a dad yet, but, no, but I you will are, be. no, but you are, but you have well, that seed in you. Like you are, you are already doing that. And that's important um, for other and, men who are not yet fathers. They're not here yet, but what you're doing right now is 100% absolutely connected to the children that you'll someday have, or even if you're not going to have children, the people that you'll influence. Right. So totally. And even, even like, as I was saying that, it also occurred to me that like, I don't have kids myself yet, but I am already impacting a lot of kids through the dads that are in my groups, <laughs> you oh. know, that I'm teaching how to um, deal with that better and to lead in their own families, you know, like I'm already having those ripples myself and it's, uh, and once I have my own kids, I'll just, that'll be even more next level of that. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Amazing, man. Well, listen, time flies. I know we, there was, I, I saw it. We were, you know how it is as a podcaster, right? You're like, oh, that's yeah, a rabbit hole. Let's pocket. go left. Oh, that's another one. We probably could do like five or six episodes here, but um, <laughs> I really like what we covered. I like where we arrived mm -hmm. to at the end. Before I ask you some lightning style questions, is there anything that we left on the table that needs to be said so that you feel like I gave the rising man community my best shot? Uh, the one piece that I want to just add as like some icing on the cake that we've been talking, we've been talking a lot about fear and taking action and all that kind of stuff. The, the conversation around trust is an interesting one that I feel ties very heavily into this. And just, it's a whole other episode in itself talking about that, like trust in yourself, trust in divine, trusting your intuition, all these things. But the, the key that I wanted or the, the piece that I wanted to put on this is like, the more you practice facing your fears, the more you will trust yourself and your ability to do what you set out to do. You know, it like, you're going to, you're going to trust yourself more. You're going to raise your self-worth. You're going to just have more confidence. And that's, that's why, like, it's not just about getting better at facing fear. It's about being more confident in a man. So you can go out and create more impact. You can go and build that business or go out and ask that girl out or go out and, raise those kids do these things that are you know that are going to make you feel like more of a, a powerful man you know and and be able to accomplish what you set out to and you're going to trust yourself to be able to do that so it's uh anyways uh, just putting that in 
A great punctuation mark on it, man. Let's yeah. uh, let's hit a couple of these lightning questions, then you can tell everybody about the great work you're up to. You ready to jump into the hot seat? Ah, yeah, let's go. <laughs> let's go. All right. So, what's one thing you've learned in your life you wish you knew when you were 18? Uh, other people's opinions don't matter that much. Oof. Yeah. 18, 25, 30. We need to hear that over. <laughs> I love that one. Uh, what do you think is the most important value to have as a man? Mm -hmm. Being of service. And what does the world need most from men right now? Mm. Oh. <laughs> That's a big one. Uh, hearts, I would say, you know, coming from less ego. Love it. Last but not least, man, how can people follow you, find out about what you're up to, hit us with the deets? Epic. Uh, well, first, thank you very much. This is awesome. Uh, people can find me on uh, Instagram is where I'm pretty active mainly. Uh, alpha rising dot men's work on Instagram, our website as well as alpha dash rising.com and uh, podcast on Apple, Spotify, all the things is men doing the work, uh, which they can find the episode we got to do with you a couple weeks ago and, uh, and lots of other dudes uh, and some women. I've had a few women on talking about like how men's work lands or why it's important from the perspective of women, which have been super interesting. So, yeah, I love that, man. You guys should definitely go follow Dave and see what he's got going on over there. That episode was a lot of fun, man. I've done a lot of episodes oh, yeah. on other people's shows. That was one of my favorites. So everyone should uh, go check that one out too. And get a sense thank of what, you. what Dave is like when he's in the interviewer seat. Um, really appreciate you, my bro. Really got mm. grateful to have you on here and to be connected. I uh, really respect what you're doing and, your approach to the world really inspired, man. I, I didn't even know half of the story that you shared here today. So that's, it's really cool. And look forward to jumping down some rabbit holes with you sometime in the future. All right, y'all. I hope you enjoyed that episode. For everything Rising Man, make sure you go over to risingman.org. Please subscribe wherever you're listening to us and subscribe to our YouTube channel as well, youtube.com slash the Rising Man Movement. Big ups to everybody out there supporting and repping Rising Man the way that you do it. Lots of love and gratitude for waving that banner alongside us. Until next time, rise up and claim your destiny. <laughs>